right. Hey, did you all enjoy the worship service last Sunday? For those of you that were here, sometimes we need to get out of our structured order of service and do something a little unorthodox, right? Not that worshiping our Savior should be unorthodox at all, um, but sometimes we just need to get out and set intentional time aside to just focus on worshiping our Savior, communing with others. Um, That should always be our top priority. Amen? And I love how Pastor Ethan stated this. He says, we're quick to raise our hands when we want to receive a blessing, but how we're going to take this time to lift our hands and our voices and give back to God our praise for who He is and what He has done. So I know it was a much-needed service for me. I think it was a much-needed service um, for our church in this time of transition, uncertainty, and the season that we're going through to where we just maintain focus on what we need to be focused on, right? So we've had some different communicators over the past few weeks, and we're going to continue to. This season, we are all being stretched to get out of our comfort zone and walk in the giftings that God has for us to strengthen our faith and to grow us into a deeper spiritual maturity. And Ephesians 4.16 says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so we're going to continue to encourage, be unified, have faith, and equip this body so that it's fully joined together, working properly, and building up its foundation in love. If you have faith for that, would you say amen this morning? And this isn't the responsibility of one person or one pastor. This takes all of us. Each one of us represented here has a purpose and is here on purpose. So you know what? It's going to look different for a little while. There's going to be some different faces up here speaking. And that's okay. I want to encourage you that that's going to be okay. This is exactly where God has us. He's exercising and training this body to be fully equipped so that we can grow into the fullness of what he has planned for us. But today, you're stuck with me. Come on. Hey, it's it's been a little bit of a slow process, but we've been going through the book of James verse by verse. And today we're going to be finishing up with the last couple verses in chapter one. Amen. Man, it seems like it's taken forever to get through the book of James. But before we do, and since we're ending the chapter, I just want to briefly recap um, some takeaways that we've received up till now. So James is the half-brother of Jesus, and James's letter is addressed to the scattered Jews throughout the 12 tribes of Israel. But his letter and his exhortation is a blueprint we as believers can use to grow in our spiritual maturity and walk in the fullness of what God has for us. And James's letter is to encourage perseverance during trials and the testing of our faith, not only to hear the word, and do what is right, but apply faith and put it into action. We've learned that we are to consider our trials with joy, and this takes an eternal perspective to do this, that there's purpose behind the trials that we experience. If we desire wisdom, we are to ask for it in faith, and that our faith must be in God alone, and that wisdom gives us the empowerment to act in the Spirit and not respond in the flesh. We learn that God will test us, but he will not tempt us. We are drawn away by our own sinful desires, and the blessing of God will not be found in the pursuit of sin. Blessed is the one who stands firm when enduring trials, because trials produce perseverance and endurance. And God will allow trials in our lives to increase our reliance on him. We're to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I'm glad I missed that sermon. Um, Anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And we're not only here just to listen to the word, 
Because if we do that, then we deceive ourselves. We are to intently listen to the word and then do what it, what it says, putting our faith into action. So y'all ready to finish up chapter one this morning? Yeah. All right, if you brought your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to the book of James, verses 26 and 27. If you didn't, that's okay. I'll read it for you and it should be on the screen behind me. James 1, 26 through 27 says this, Those who consider themselves righteous and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your truth. Lord, I pray that um, each one of us here this morning, including myself, Lord, that we just soften our hearts, that we open our minds. As Pastor Mark would always say, that you just till the soil of our hearts to make it fertile so that we can receive your word this morning. God, we don't want to just hear it, but we want it to transform our lives, our relationship with you. And God, we're just asking this morning that you just do that. God, use me as the vessel to be able to bring your word, set aside anything that's of the flesh and out of the spirit. Father, we just give you this time and we dedicate it to you. We just continue to lift up Israel like Pastor Ethan said. Praying in faith, God, that uh, you can do immeasurably more. And God, it seems dismal at this time, but God, we're just giving you, um, God, the glory and what you're going to do that something's going to come out of this, God, that you can always make beauty out of ashes right now. And God, we just lift them up to you, Father, calling them before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, James addresses three elements that define and determine if we possess a genuine religion. And what he's asking is for us to examine our faith. None of us want a worthless, worthless religion, right? Mandy? <laughs> I'm glad my wife doesn't. <clears throat> But none of us want a worthless, a worthless religion. He expresses that we must maintain control of our tongues. We must seek compassion, and we have to stay committed. So the first thing I want to talk about this morning is control. And I know many of you probably wouldn't believe this about me, but I'll go ahead and be honest for the entire group. There may have been a couple times, just a couple, in my life where something has come out of my mouth that I probably shouldn't have. Like twice. <laughs> this morning, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm a pretty religious and spiritual person, you know. I mean, come on. But no, it's come to my realization that I was the one who was supposed to be delegated to speak this specific scripture. And it's actually kind of funny because whenever, um, right before service, Ethan was putting the scriptures in to pro presenter and he was like, man, I really just feel like you were supposed to preach this one. I was like, yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> But I'm pretty sure I was delegated to speak the specific scripture for some reason and some purpose. But when I first began getting the opportunity to speak, I, were, I remember I'd always be praying like, Lord, give me a word. Lord, give me something revolutionary that I can bring to your people. Lord, what do your people need to hear? Give me something that I can speak to them. And I quickly realized that all of my messages begin to revolve around God maturing and refining and giving me messages that I needed to work on on myself um, that would refine me. And so we met with staff a couple weeks ago and we put together a speaking lineup and we went through and assigned verses and who would be speaking on those verses. And then I went to Idaho for two of those Sundays. And when I got back, my aunt passed away. Um, so I was actually supposed to speak last Sunday, had some other things come up. So anyway, had to deal with some other issues. So naturally I was thinking, cause I was in my head was thinking, okay, good. This passage would already be passed and I wouldn't have to worry about speaking on it. Um, but God had other plans, apparently. So 
He does work in mysterious ways and have a sense of humor, doesn't he? (laughs) Now, typically, if you've been in ministry in any capacity whatsoever, there is a little trick that some people pull, and and it's the, I really just feel like the Lord is telling us that we should just take this time and worship card, right? So that's what happens when we're not prepared. Um, And my esteemed colleague and our spiritual worship leader, Ethan, pulled that card last week, and I'm pretty sure it was so that I was forced to speak this message. Um, now, he's been around me long enough to know that um, what I consider to be passion, some consider it to be anger, which those people are just misinformed. It's not anger, it's passion. Um, but he's been around me long enough to know, you know, um, that I should probably be the one speaking this. It's just righteous anger, right? Come on, it's just righteous anger. But I think we can all confidently say at some point in our lives, especially for us, those who have been married for quite some time, there's probably been some times in our lives where something's come out of our mouths that shouldn't have, Right? If we're honest this morning, that wasn't fruitful. And maybe for some of us in here, what comes out of our mouths a lot of the time isn't fruitful and God-honoring. And James is saying it's not enough to claim that you're religious. It's not enough to just attend church, give some money, sing some songs, and then vomit profanity and gossip and unfruitful comments out of our mouths. And that's exactly what the self-proclaimed religious rulers were doing. And James says that type of religion is worthless. Now, I know there's some controversy over the word religion. Um, There's catchy phrases, there's YouTube videos, there's t-shirts, there's pastors um, that say it's not religion, it's relationship, right? Have you guys heard that slogan? Um, And I'm not going to get into all that or debate that. I mean, it is 100% about our relationship with Christ for sure. But remember, James isn't writing to the self-proclaimed religious rulers who claim to be holy. James's letter that he wrote is writing to those who claim Jesus as their Lord. It's to the fellow believers who claimed Christianity or the way as their religion, and they're actually being persecuted for it. That's why they're scattered all over the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's who James is addressing whenever he wrote this letter. Sometimes the word religion is used to refer to a system of beliefs or doctrine. For instance, the Buddhist religion or the Muslim religion. And the word religion in this text is actually translated. It's referring to observance, how we behave towards God. And it's an outward expression of our inward reverence and adoration, our worship to our Creator. It's describing a pure and undefiled outward expression and demonstration of something that is inwardly true, namely, of who God is and what God does. So it's not so much about a set of rules or rituals or honoring specific days or events, but rather it's the alignment of our hearts being pure and our expressions confirming that. One commentary I read put it like this. He said, James describes a person who has implanted the word of God and yet does not have the speech that matches such a truth-based life. James says, this man's religion is worthless. Meaning that this religion is without transcendent or useful purpose, aim, or fruit. It's a religion that is self-seeking rather than God-seeking. It seeks affirmation from the sight of man rather than affirmation in the sight of God. And it is evident that the person is being controlled by inner lust rather than abiding in the word of God. Now, the word worthless can mean devoid of power or having no positive influence, nonproductive or useless. So it doesn't matter how spiritual we think we are or even act or even all the good things that we think we might be doing. If what comes out of our mouths isn't building up the kingdom, isn't building up others, isn't life-producing, isn't glorifying God, then our spiritual claim, church, is worthless. 
and we're only deceiving ourselves. Now, deceived is, is defined as giving a mistaken or false impression. It's actually to cause someone to believe something about you that's not true, or it's refusal to accept the truth. And James's acknowledgement in this letter is to bring awareness that we must control our speech. And he's instructing that we examine our faith or our religion, our outward expressions and the gratitude for what God has done in us. Because our speech has the ability to not only hinder our walk as believers and define whether our faith is genuine and true, but it also has the ability to impact in the, the walk around us of others. It also has the ability to impact others' walk. You know what I mean? So it's not only just us, but we have the ability to influence and impact and speak life and draw people into Christ because of the things that come out of our mouths. And the ESV translation states it like this. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself from being unstained of the world. Does anyone know what this is? I'm sure many of you do. We live in Marshall, Missouri. I sure hope a lot of you guys do. It's what? James says, if anyone does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. So this is a bridle. For those of you who don't know, this is a bridle. It goes over a horse's head. The bit goes in the horse's mouth, and then reins are attached to the rings. The rider then maintains control of the horse. He has control. He can guide and lead the horse in order to do what he wants the horse to do. So if the horse doesn't have a bridle on it, then the horse is in control, right? And that could be dangerous, especially for people like me who don't ride horses. Because depending on the horse's mood or the horse's attitude that day, or if someone made the horse mad, then the horse is in control. And that's a dangerous spot to be in. And what James is saying is it's no different with us. We have the ability to be able to be dangerous at times in our lives if we don't control the words that are coming out of our mouths. So the bridles used to restrain and control. And James is saying that theoretically, we must put a bit in our mouths and bridle our tongues. And for me, it probably should be theoretical. I should probably wear something like that full time. <clears throat> hey, I'm a work in progress. Come on. That's why I'm preaching this message today. But we as followers of Christ must maintain and restrain control of what comes out of our mouths, right? And I read several different articles this week, and all of them were kind of close to this number. But they say that an average person will speak six to 7,000 words per day. Six to 7,000 words per day. Same article also said that a woman will speak 20,000 words on average a day. I'm just, hey, I'm just stating what the article said. Um, but I'm pretty sure my wife surpasses both of those numbers substantially. Uh, um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. But our words have the ability to dictate how people perceive us, right? And our words have the ability to define us. So if you speak 20,000 words a day times 365 days a year, that's 7,300,000 words that you'll speak in one year. 7,300,000 times an average life expectancy of, let's say, 80 years. That's 584 million words that will come out of your mouth in a lifetime. 584 million words in a lifetime. Now, the average page on a book roughly holds about 250 to 300 words. So if you speak 20,000 words a day 
That's 67 pages of a book that you're speaking. Put that in perspective. Put that in perspective. 67 pages that you're speaking a day. So what kind of book are you? James is saying the picture on the cover of the book doesn't mean anything. He actually says it's worthless if the context of your story isn't life-producing and God-glorifying. Matthew 15, 11 says, It's not what goes into the mouth of a person that defiles them, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And Matthew 12, 36 through 37 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And Luke 6.45 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And church, what's our heart full of? What's coming out of our mouth and what kind of story are people reading when they look at us and whenever they see that we act one way, but we speak another? Genuine faith speaks in such a way that it demonstrates a trust in God, a love for God, and a respect for people. It's because you love God and His Spirit is working in you to transform you to be more like Christ. And James is telling us that true religion changes the way that we live our lives. Amen? It's transformative. True religion is active. It's not passive. And he started by telling us that we must be active in controlling our tongue. Now in verse 27, he goes on to tell us that true religion is active in showing compassion to others. So let's take a look at verse 27. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, it can be easy to misinterpret what James is trying to say here. He's, he's, he's not saying all it takes to please God is to donate some money, build an orphanage, or take some, a widow some food. That's not what he's saying. Those are all definitely good things. We should probably be doing those things as believers. But if that's, if that's what we take away from this verse, then we're missing James's point. Because in the culture that James is writing to, widows and orphans were the ones who faced the most distress. And they had no way to care for themselves. Therefore, they relied on the churches, the help of others. They relied on their compassion to help them to survive. There weren't no government programs implemented to, or instituted to assist the needs of their care. They didn't have welfare. They didn't have WIC. Orphans obviously had no family to provide for them. Widows couldn't work, and they usually had no money of their own because typically in those days, the family's resources after the husband passed away wasn't left to a woman. So as believers, we're expected and we're instru instructed to help those who cannot help themselves. And Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to the, your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Genuine faith will inevitably produce good deeds and character. And James's letter is practical advice on living a Christ-centered life. True faith is just more than a statement. It's a transformation within us that produces a Christ-like character. And I love this statement that I read. It says, We need to be on the lookout for those who are in distress. 
and find ways to meet their needs. James is not telling us that if we do these things, then we've earned God's favor. Rather, it's almost the opposite. He is saying that if we have really been changed by God, then we will desire to serve others. That if we're really seeking to honor God, we should be willing to be involved in inconvenient love. Now, most acts of love are things that we think would fit into our schedule or things that would be fun, right? But James is talking about a sacrificial love, a love that serves others simply because it honors God, not because it's convenient for us. And James is saying, don't mimic and be like the so-called ones who claim to be religious. They perform the obvious acts of behaviors, obvious acts of religious behavior, and they're meaningless because they don't come from a truly compassionate heart. They're doing it for show and self-righteousness so that everyone around them will see them and consider them to be righteous. So they're doing it without compassion or faith. And he's saying that's worthless in the sight of God. When we profess Jesus, his spirit is infused with us. And the spirit transforms us. It transforms our hearts and our compassion to be more like that of him. We should be intentional in caring for the ones who have lost loved ones the ones who have been abandoned. And we've seen such a transformation within this body and taking in foster kids. And I know that that was Mark's passion and he brought that to this church. It's been absolutely amazing to see people gather around in a community and take heed, heed of doing that. Meeting the needs and loving those that some have deemed unlovable. That is pure and God honoring, amen? amen? But let's not restrict it to just that. James says, show love and compassion and concern to all those who are in need, because Jesus did. This is a true sign of religion. So I want to look back um, at our key verse one more time. This is the last examination that James gives us for what a pure and faultless religion looks like. James 1.27 again says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress, and, everybody say and, and, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Lastly, James says to be active and examine your faith in your commitment. And if we're committed to Christ and we're becoming more Christ-like on our own walk, if we're seeking Him, if we're loving Him, and if we're serving others, and if we're being transformed, then we won't have time to be staying and polluted by the world. Amen? And I think for me, I look at this verse, and if somebody asks me, hey, what does true and, and true and undefiled religion look like? Well, it's to take care of the orphans and the widows. That's what James says. And I've always missed the second half of this verse. I haven't paid it much attention until I actually started studying to prepare this week. But if we're being committed to Christ and our walk and doing that, and if we're seeking the Father's business, and if we're being compassionate, and if we're controlling what we're doing, and if we're constantly engaging in the things that the Holy Spirit is leading us to do, we're not going to have time to care about the affairs of the world, right? So the Greek word for keep here used is in present tense. It indicates a constant and continuous action. This means allowing the Spirit to continue His work in us daily not conforming to and not desiring what the world offers or deems acceptable. And when we're transformed to walk in true faith, we no longer should desire to have a relationship with sin. Amen? Because we have a relationship with the one who paid the price for our sins. Now, James isn't demanding perfection here. However, those who declare faith in Jesus do not continue to make a practice in sinning. 
1 John 3, 9 says this, No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Church, true faith changes our perception of sin and what it is. We shouldn't desire to seek it out. And when we fall, because we will, we're convicted by the Holy Spirit and we're challenged to turn back to God. One commentary I read said this, if our profession of faith has not changed our relationship with sin, then our profession of faith probably hasn't changed our eternal destiny. The continual practice of those who truly know God is keeping themselves untainted from the world, not adopting sinful worldviews of culture, not enjoying sinful entertainment, not celebrating the culture's rebellion of God's word. Church, there's no in-between. So are we conforming and embracing what the world has to offer, or are we in our true faith keeping ourselves from being polluted and stained by the world? We as believers will certainly fall and make mistakes, and James and John are emphasizing a lifestyle, the patterns of true believers. Before we accepted Christ, we embraced the world, right? We thought like the world, we acted like the world, we engaged with the world, and we lived like the rest of the world. And being of this world means following the unbelieving world's values, beliefs, and conducts. And Christ hasn't called us to do that. We as believers are not to share in these things. Instead, we're to follow Christ's word and reflect it by our own words and our own actions. Amen? When we accept Christ, we're born again. Do you guys agree with that? Therefore, our patterns and our pathways change. And we begin to live for God. And along this path, we may stumble but the pathway and the direction never change. Our calling is to live for God. And James is telling us that we persevere in doing so. And even though we may stumble, we're continuing to grow. And if our faith and our, our, our religion is genuine, then that stumble becomes less and less the closer that we go to Christ and His holiness, right? James is asking us to examine our faith. Are we continuing on the pathway that leads to control, compassion, and commitment, or are we allowing the world to pollute and define our faith? Sam, do you mind coming up and playing some keys? They always say it makes it sound more spiritual when you do that, so I need a little bit of spiritual environment. James instructs us, he says, keep and be and keeping yourselves from being polluted by the world. So that tells me that this requires action on our part, right? Would you guys agree? Yeah. It says, keep oneself from being unpolluted by the world. So that's going to require action. And faith without action is dead. And we'll learn that in chapter 2. But when we first come to faith, we're deeply changed. We're born again. We receive this new life. However, that doesn't mean from that moment on that we're sinless. And when we choose to operate in the flesh, we will sometimes be enticed to sin. And the world and this life that we live will give us many opportunities to. But remember, James said, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. But we're not helpless in this struggle, are we? So here's the hope, church. God knew it was going to be hard, right? And God knew that we couldn't do it alone. 
And that's why he sent his son to give, a, to give his life as our ransom. And by doing that, the debt that we owed was paid for. Christ was crucified, he was buried, and he was resurrected from the grave. And upon his ascension into heaven, he promised to pour out his spirit upon all who would call upon his name. To empower us with his spirit to overcome. To convict us when we stumble and turn back to him. And if the spirit dwells within us, he enables us to put to death the deeds of the body. And we know that our old self was crucified with him in order to keep the body of sin, that it might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And Romans 6, 13 emphasizes this. It says, we should not use our bodies to commit sin, but as instruments of righteousness. But none of this would even be possible without what was done on the cross. And Christ gave up his life. He surrendered his life so that he could pour his Holy Spirit upon us, right? And so if I'm not doing this, James says, keep oneself, right? And there's something about this bridle. The horse doesn't put this bridle on himself, right? As a matter of fact, I'm probably sure in the beginning, the horse does not like it. I'm not a horse person, but I'm just assuming that the horse probably doesn't like having something on his head and something metal stuck in his mouth. But the horse doesn't put this on. The rider does. And at first it's uncomfortable and it's inconvenient. But the thing about this is it's beneficial, not only for the rider, but it's beneficial for the horse to protect it as well too. Because we don't want something that's out of control, Right? And James says, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And God has the ability to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask, think, or imagine, right? But God's not going to force us to wear this. And God's not going to put this on us. And James is saying, listen, your faith requires action. There's responsibility that you have for, for declaring who you follow in your religion. And James is saying, you've got to do some things in order, in order to, for your religion to be genuine and faultless and undefiled. So we have to take responsibility and put this on. And you know what? If I put this on, I'm not going to put it on because I got a headset on and it's going to be awkward and weird. And I actually was going to put reins on this thing and have Ethan come up here and steer me around. But church, I don't trust them one bit. I don't trust them. I love you, but I know. <laughs> and I know it's going to be uncomfortable, and I know it doesn't feel good because I want to be in control. But if I'll place this on and keep the faith like James says, and I'll let the Holy Spirit have the reins, you know what? Then whenever I come and I want to lash out and my righteous anger gets the best of me, God's there to be able to pull me back and keep control of my tongue. And when I want to go do my own thing and I want to go this way, God says, no, I need you to go show compassion. God, I don't want to show compassion and love to them. They don't deserve it. But the Holy Spirit's going to guide me and lead me over there to be able to pour out compassion, his compassion through me. And whenever the sins of the, or whenever the flesh of the world and the, and, and the enticements and all the things that the world has to offer catch my attention, God's there to steer me back and remem to, to, to remember 
my commitment that I made to him whenever I made him Lord of my life. He's not going to force you to wear this. He's not going to put it on you himself. That's why James says you have got to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. And in doing so, the only way that we're able to do that is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Amen? By pouring his spirit out over us to empower us, to give us the ability to overcome, to convict us when the things that come out of our mouth aren't fruitful and beneficial, to guide us and to lead us, to be compassionate to others, to show others the love that Christ has given us and to literally reestablish our commitment and our declaration to him whenever we made him Lord and Savior of our life. And if we'll let the Holy Spirit control the reins of our bridle, he'll lead us and convict us and empower us and restore us. And it's only by faith in him and through him that our faith has the ability to become genuine and faultless. Amen? So maybe you're in here today and you, have, you don't have a relationship with Christ. You don't know the Savior that I'm talking about. He wants to have a relationship with you. God sent his son to the cross so that you wouldn't have to go through this life alone. And he wants to pour out his blessing and his spirit upon you. That's the only way. He guarantees us a relationship with him and an eternity spent in heaven with him when we do that. So if you're in here today and you, haven't have, and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I know, like I said, we, we did a little things unorthodox a little bit last week. And I want to do something a little bit different today too. I know typically we say bow your head and close your eyes and we don't want to call anybody out. And this isn't to call anybody out. This isn't to embarrass anybody. This isn't to do any of that. But if you don't have a relationship with Christ here this morning and that's something that you want, I'm going to ask that you take a bold move of faith and you stand up and you come down here to this altar. It's a public declaration of a transform, transformation that's taking place in our life. It's not something that should be hidden. It's not something that we shouldn't celebrate. We want to celebrate that. We should be glorifying God for what he's doing in people's lives. It's not to call anybody out. There's a misconception about this altar down here that we've seen it used for people who are walking in sin and they're in a terrible spot and they're going through some stuff. This is an altar of praise. This is to glorify God for who he is and what he's done. It shouldn't be awkward for us. It shouldn't be weird for us to come in here on a Sunday and spend an hour singing praises to the one who gave his life for us. I want to be a church that literally enjoys coming in here, that's passionate about God, that wants to serve God, that it's not awkward to come up here and lay our lives down and just say, God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for my hope. And I want a body of believers surrounding each and every single one of us that's encouraging and not condemning. That's what we're here for, church. We're a family. We're a body. It shouldn't be hidden. It shouldn't be hidden. Our faith shouldn't be hidden. The things that come out of our mouth and our actions should be glorifying to God. And it should be an example and it should be desirable to every single one around us. So if that's you this morning, and there may not be one, but if there is one this morning, would you have the bold courage to come down here? Because we want to celebrate and we want to pray with you and we want to gather around you and we want to encourage you and we want to support you and we want to do life with you because that is something that should be celebrated. You are giving your life to Christ and your name and your eternity are written in heaven and your life will be forever changed. Amen. 
God says, all who call upon my name shall be saved. If that's you this morning, would you come? Would there be one in here this morning that wants to dedicate their life and have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And if not, that's okay. I just want to give an opportunity this morning to show you that you are loved, that you will have a body of believers surrounding you. Maybe you're in here today, you're like me and your mouth is loose. (laughs) Maybe you haven't had compassion towards others or maybe you've made a commitment in the past, but you haven't, your commitment has been lacking lately. I wanna give you an opportunity to come down these altars as well. And not in a condemning fashion, but that you're gonna say, you know what, Lord, I've heard this message and I want the words that come out of my mouth to be fruitful. God, I want them to be beneficial and glorifying to you. I want them to be an encouragement to others. And I wanna have a compassionate heart. Lord, whenever I don't wanna be compassionate, I wanna know that the love of Jesus is flowing outwardly through me. Not because I claim to be religious, but because God, you're doing something inside of me. You're transforming me to be more like you. And I want a church, I want a body of believers that are committed to this walk because I'm tired of myself from playing church. And you know what? We're in a season right now where we're in uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen. And I'm going to be honest, my reliance is on him because I can't do it by myself. Ethan can't do it. The rest of us can't do it. I don't know what's going to happen. But I have the faith to believe that God's faithful and able. And that he's going to see us through this thing. And I'm making a commitment to that walk, not this building. I'm not committed to this building. I'm committed to my Lord and Savior. I want my walk to be glorifying to him. I want him to, be, I want him to restore what's been taken. I want him, him to do things through us and through, and through this body of believers that is immeasurably more than we can ever ask, think, or imagine, church. And if that's you this morning, I'm asking you to come down here, commit, and we're going to pray this thing out. That's my salvation call. That's my altar call this morning. If that's you, I just invite you to come. I invite you to come down here and commit your life to being that of what Jesus has called you to. Jesus, we just thank you for the cross. It's only because of the cross that we're here. It's only because of the cross that we have hope. It's only because of you, God, that we have purpose in this life. First and foremost, we just thank you for that, Lord. We just thank you for the sacrifice that was made. God, if we don't ever receive anything else in this life, what you've done has already been more than enough. And God, we're we're in a season right now, Lord. Maybe our faith's been shattered. Maybe we've gone through something. Maybe someone's done something to us. Maybe we haven't been seeking this thing out wholeheartedly, Lord. And you're using this season in our lives and in this church, God, to restore us, to draw us back into you in a deeper level. God, I just pray that you move within us. Because we come down here on this altar and we just commit our lives to seeking after you, Lord, not just because we want a building. That's not why we're doing this, but God, we want to be transformed We want our walk to be glorifying to you. God, we want to be used by you. We want to examine our faith and know that it's pure and it's genuine and it seeks after your heart. And God, we're surrendering this to you right here and right now. This church, this building, this transition, this transaction, whatever you want to call it, it's all yours.
coming down here on our knees, Father, laying it at your altar, knowing that you know better than we do. We have our opinions. We have our ideas, Lord. Forgive me when I react in the flesh. When the words that come out of my mouth aren't glorifying in this season, in this transition. And God, we're asking you to do what only you can do. And ultimately, we're surrendering to your will. God, I know you've called us all together. I'm just praying right now, Lord, for each and every single person that's represented here today that we don't leave here condemned, that we leave here encouraged, that we've taken the 45 minutes to examine our faith right now and realizing, you know what? It, it might not be exactly what you want it to be, but God, you're gracious enough to draw us back into you. And Lord, we're giving you the reins right now to take control. God, we want you to lead us where you want to lead us. We want, we, we want to speak what you want us to speak. We want to love those who you want us to love. And God, we're giving you control of our lives. We're giving you control of this situation. We're giving you the reins of our hearts, Father, that you just continue to work in us, Jesus. Continue to move in your strength and your power and your might, Lord. And God, do what only you can do. That's all we're asking, Father. To grow our faith and our trust and our hope in you, Lord. We just thank you for what you're going to do, Jesus. Amen.